0: This is Cale Brown. Now, I didn't play a doctor on TV, but I will prescribe Brandon's Buzz for... Absolutely, anybody who wants to know what's really going on Hey guys, this is Brett Claywell from One Life to Live And you're listening to Brandon's Buzz This is Taylor Dane And you are listening to the one and only Brandon Buzz Hi, this
1: is Lynn Herring on Brandon's Buzz It's the great entertainment talk show on now Brandon, I love you, thanks for having me. This is Linda Dano I'm on Brandon's Buzz And I have to tell you What a fun hour I just had Ah, this is a great kid with a wonderful heart and soul. You listen every day. I know I will. Hey, hey, this is Nia Peoples, and you are checking out Brandon's Buzz right now. Hi, everyone, this is Eric Martin from the band Mr. Big.
0: I'm live and kicking on Brandon's Buzz. Hi, this is Dave Romero, and you're going to love buzzing with Brandon's Buzz. Hey guys, welcome back to Brandon's Buzz. I am Brandon. It's Tuesday, May 29th, 2012, 10 p.m. back east, 7 p.m. out west, 9 p.m. here in Texas, and we're back on the air with a fabulous guest and topic this evening. You know, late last week it was a great thrill to have an extended telephone chat with a man whose work I have long admired, esteemed journalist Michael Maloney. And while you may not recognize his name uh, on site, if you've picked up a daytime-related magazine in the past two decades from Soap Opera Digest, to soaps in-depth, soap opera updates, soap opera magazines, so many more, I guarantee you know the singularly unique voice and writing style that have earned him the respect of most everyone working in the soap grind today. Three years ago, Lee Philip Bell, the widow of Bill Bell, legendary creator of the classic CBS soap operas The Young and the Restless and The Bold and the Beautiful, handpicked Michael to pin the long-overdue uh, authorized biography of her late husband, and Michael tackled the challenge with gusto. Conducting more than 60 interviews with Bell's closest friends and colleagues, and reviewing a trove of archived letters, photographs, and papers. The result of all this toil and trouble, a gorgeous tome titled simply, The Young and Restless Life of William J. Bell, hits bookstores later this week, published by Sourcebooks. And trust me when I tell you, it's a hell of a fun, profoundly informative read. And Michael popped by the Buzz to give us an exclusive sneak peek at the daunting process of distilling the real story behind the life of one of the world's masterful teller of televised tales. You know, this is probably a stupid question to start out with, but but uh, you know, because of course he was an endlessly fascinating man. But talk to me about the inception of this book. Why Bill Bell? Why this book? Why now?
1: About three years ago, Lee Bell called me and asked me if I'd like to meet with her and talk about writing Bill's biography, and I was uh, a few things hit me all at once, the first being yes, thank you, and the, the second was what a brilliant idea. Someone should have thought of this
0: Absolutely. a while ago. You know, I was I was just thinking, you know, Agnes doesn't have one, Bill doesn't have one, Doug Marlin really doesn't have one. I mean, all these giants of this industry that we all love so much, and, and nobody really knows much about their personal lives.
1: It's true. I I believe Agnes is working on one. I saw her late last year, and she I think she shared that. I don't know if that's common knowledge, but it is now. Um, uh, So Lee called me, and we met, and she talked about her idea for the book and telling Bill's story, and it sounded terrific. And then a couple of weeks later, after we ironed out all the details of how it would work out, I started interviewing people. I was very fortunate in that since I've been covering the world of soap operas for so long that sure, I kind of I kind of hit the ground running. I knew instantly who I wanted to talk to. And I'm sure it helped that you knew everybody and had connections and had archives of,
0: of material already written on, on uh, you know, Bill and, and the world of, of the genre.
1: Yeah, it was helpful. I did not interview Bill that many times throughout his career, mostly because I thought, leave him alone, let him write, you know, leave him in peace and I would talk to other people, but there were a few key instances in which I interviewed Bill.
0: And in 19- to be fair, uh, it's, it's true that Bill didn't really enjoy talking to the press that much. Is that, is that a fair statement?
1: You know, he was always gracious, and I think that the one thing his concern with the media was, and he saw this evolve in his career, was advanced storyline getting sure. out, and that is totally understandable. Personally, I'm hooked on revenge. And and what I, what I really enjoy about that show is that a lot of things don't get out. I didn't know whether Daniel was going to be shot or not until I saw it on air. And I think they did a great job of keeping that secret. Because I think if you know what's going to happen in advance, Absolutely. you can kind of say, well, all right, I know that so-and-so's okay, so I'll just check in tomorrow. And then sure. you get out of the habit of watching. Of I course. think that was a big concern. But no, he actually as I wrote in the book, invited the press over to cover the shows every week and led us into the building to interview his cast and, and talk to people and, and do the favorite actor, favorite actress, favorite color, favorite course, favorite yeah. lists, and then do other things to help fill up our pages, but there were rules and he asked that they be respected and rarely, only if there was a, a disconnect would, would something like that happen where the wrong information got out so sure. early.
0: And of course if if you look back uh, if you look back at you know, some of the highlights of, of uh, you know, the storylines over the years from Sheila jumping to Bold and the Beautiful to, you know, sure. the George Rollins murder. I mean, y- you know, you think of all the great secrets that he was able to keep very close to his vest, and you understand the, the method to the madness.
1: Absolutely. I mean, and the, in, in the olden days, as I like to call them, the 80s, you, you know, the... Um, <laughs> <laughs> the Emmys would be in the summer, yet the magazines would cover them probably in fall editions, and in March and April editions, there'd be Christmas photos, uh, you know, because that those were the deadlines back then. Sure. There was no tweeting. There was no Facebook. There was no
0: Instagram. There was no daytime
1: confidential. There was no... Exactly. So I, I started interviewing all the people in Bill and Lee's life, both family members, and then um, long-time trusted confidants, actors, writers, producers, and network execs. It was very interesting to talk to the network executives about what it was like working with Bill Bell. I knew right away that I wanted to, that there would be at least a couple of chapters on The Young and the Restless, specifically the creation of it. I read through the Bibles for Y&R, and b Another World, which Bill oh. was co-created with Erna. Had Bill ever entertained the idea of of writing
0: his own autobiography? Do you have any notion of,
1: of I if he had ever thought know. about that? He, he had sat down in 1998 with journalist Alan Carter for an interview on tape where he talked about his whole career, and Alan very kindly alerted me to that. Um, yeah, you know, it's so that, great. I
0: watched some of that this afternoon uh, preparing for this conversation.
1: Yeah, and and that was very helpful in the book because I would talk to Seven or eight people in Bill's life about how Bill may have felt about something, and I might get two or three <laughs> different versions of it. And, and people weren't trying to purposely mislead me, they just had their thoughts. Of course. And ideally, you want Bill's true thought on it. And what I would have to do is weed through it and, and use my own estimation and, and deduction and, and talk to Lee, of course, and, and the people who knew him the best to find out which version I should go with. And then it was also very helpful watching that interview with Bill because he talked about so much in that interview, which is a great great interview. It would have been a totally different book if Alan had not alerted me to that.
0: (laughs) You know, as hard as it is to believe, there exists now a whole new generation of young and the restless and bold and beautiful watchers who you know, never knew Bill's work and who may not even know his name. For those who may not know the full story, kind of set the table for us. Who was this man who created these worlds that so many of us have spent our lives watching
1: and loving? You know, Bill was like a lot of us in that he grew up watching soap operas, and he was introduced to them through his mother. And he The way most of he, us were. The way most of us were. And he actually didn't watch them. He listened to them on the radio, because they were on the radio when he was growing up. And he sure. heard the name The Guiding Light, created by Erna Phillips, which I guess they used to include in the title of the show when they would announce it. And he went on to do other things. He he served in the military. He went into the world of advertising kind of in a just in a pre Mad Men era. But he always kept in the back of his mind that he wanted to do this. And he reached out to Erna a few times and he was able to get a meeting with her and she took a liking to him and she invited him to apprentice under her and they worked together for nine years and in that time Bill learned how soap operas were of course were done. And talk about learning from the best. We learned from the best. It was an era when Erna, she got her way because she produced the results, and no one would go up against her. And I think in today's world, you know, a lot of people want their voice heard at the table, and unfortunately then you've got shows run by committee, so the vision gets a little cloudy, and the audience in response, you know, is like, well, I'm not sure what's going on here. (laughs) They don't dissect it that much, they just might say this doesn't feel like my show anymore and then then they stop watching and then bill uh after about nine years of working with erna branched out onto his own at days of our lives and he was able to really flourish there a lot of people when they leave their mentor they can either crash and burn or they can really thrive and, and and get even better and i think that's what happened with bill of course and after he had brought days which was close to cancellation to the number one spot then the people at Screen Gems, which is what Sony used to be called, they wanted Bill to develop his own show, and that's how The Young and the Restless came to be.
0: Were there ways in which Bill diverged greatly from Erna's governing philosophy? I mean, did he and Erna ever clash or, or cross swords in terms of constructing story, dealing with characters, what have
1: you? I think that they did have their clashes. One of the most amazing resources I had for the book, because even though I had my own library of copies of old interviews I'd done and, and clips from many different publications. You know, my fear is that, you know, that people would know all this stuff who, who've read those magazines over the years. And some of the material I got that had never been seen before was pages from Erna's unpublished autobiography. Wow. Her son, Thomas, provided those for me. They found them in Erna's belongings after she had passed on. And wow. she writes very frankly about Bill. She said that, he, you know, he was very... He had his own strong opinions and that we would clash, she said, but that he never really lost his temper and that he would listen to her. So I think he, he, his existence with her was where he established his own identity, and yet he still kept in mind this was the boss at the time. And, and what was great about Bill is that he would always thank Erna in his acceptance speeches. Sure. Or long after people may have forgotten who Erna was, he did not. And I thought that was a very classy thing to do.
0: And was she supportive of his of his uh, decision or desire to strike out on his own, or did she want him to stay under her wing forever? I mean, what was the – do you have a sense of their
1: personal relationship? You know, it's funny. You don't know how it's going to play out when something happens. And Bill pointed out once that the big split that it's now known as when he left Erna, at the time, Bill thought that Erna's belief was that he would be back after Days of Our Lives was canceled. Wow, and if you think about it, that makes sense. I mean, if you yeah, have sure. an employee and they want to go off to try to save some low-rated show, you'd be thinking, "Well, okay, that'll fail, and I'll see in a couple of months." So it wasn't as dramatic a breakup as it is, I think, in retrospect.
0: You mentioned you mentioned Bill's experience in, in advertising in terms of in terms of knowing what people might like to see or having a keen sense of how to hook people and command their attention. Is it fair to believe that? Bill's experience in advertising had as much to do with his ultimate
1: success as his natural talent for storytelling did. I think you hit the nail on the head. I think when you work in advertising, you have to know how to give your audience what they want, and Bill certainly knew how to give his audience what they wanted in his stories. There was a time I used to work in production at The Bold and the Beautiful, and we had the the whole office had gathered, you know, actors and, and a lot of the crew had gathered to watch some episodes before they aired. And the reason for that was because they involved remote footage from the Queen Mary, where B&B shot in 1989. Sure, yeah. It was kind of a, a special event to get together because people had worked so hard on those episodes. And um, Caroline came down the stairs on the deck of the boat, and she said to Ridge she was going away and uh, to think about things. And Ridge said that he would think about things, and whether he loved Brooke or Caroline, and... And she said, I love you, Ridge. And then he turned and he said, I love you too, Caroline. And Ridge didn't say that a lot. He did not. He's very enigmatic. You don't know what he's thinking most of the time, and you tune in to see what his decision will be. And so for him to say that, there was kind of a collective sigh among everyone <laughs> watching. And and Bill said kind of mischievously, he said, well, that ought to hold the audience for another two years. And he wasn't being mean. He just knew how to dole it out in little bits. Because if Ridge was saying I love you all the time and 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 doing that, well, then it would lose its appeal. Sure, You know, you want to tune in to wait for that moment, and he knew that. <laughs>
0: you know, uh, now practically the whole of television is overrun by young, gorgeous people, but back in 73, when Young and the Restless made its premiere, uh, I, I think it's fair to say it was a big stretch to hang the brunt of the series material on such a young, inexperienced cast of actors who just happened to be among the most beautiful people in the world, yes?
1: I agree, and I think that what Bill knew is that you know YNR was groundbreaking in its distinctive look with impossibly attractive people. I don't know how the backgrounds of all of the cast members, but I know in general that Bill could take someone who might not have a lot of experience. I mean, look at Shamar Moore. You of know, course. He, he brought him in, and I, I know Shamar has said this and would admit it himself. I mean, he came in without a lot of experience, and it was one of the biggest stars to ever come out of the show, or to be on the show, because he got better. He won an Emmy, and he was consistent, and he just got better and better. So, I think that to be an actor on a Bill Bell show, uh, an actor could be very lucky. They could learn, they could grow, they could get better, and they could, you know, have a really nice life for many years.
0: And if you look at somebody like Victoria Rowell or uh, Michael Damian, or you know, even his own daughter Laura Lee, he was great at spotting that natural talent and putting them in situations and scenarios that could uh, foster that talent and let it breathe and let it develop.
1: He knew how to play to an actor's strengths. And, no question. And it, w- it was all very subtle, too. And occasionally he would call an actor and say, you know, what you did on that air show, that's what I want. Keep doing that. And that's a great direction to get from a boss. Like, you want to know that you, for your boss, you're doing the right thing. He made it all look so easy. I mean, he was it was effortless on the outside, the way he ran things. His shows ran like a well-oiled machine. I'm a little biased because I did used to work for him, but when I left the Bold and the Beautiful production staff to go into the media, and then I had exposure to the other shows, I just figured they were all like Bill, only you know lower ratings and maybe not as strong stories. But, but he really was in a class by himself. And he was different from any producer or writer that you'd meet because Bill owned the shows. Not exactly share of the entire percentages, but he had a piece of both shows. Sure. And unlike other producers and writers who might be brought in just as an employee for a couple of years, so I, I think that Bill had a more invested in it.
0: You, you talk about this in the book too. He actually watched the show every day. Unlike you know so many other people who are proud of the fact that that they don't watch the show or that they're too busy to doing their job to watch the show. You you talk about it several times in the book that he actually sat down and watched the show every single day because he wanted to see the show the way we saw it.
1: Yeah, and you'd think that would be something that everyone would do, but I think Bill did a lot of things that not everyone would do, and I think that that's what led to his success. He was very invested in the shows. Eric Braden said to me, and this is in the book, that for Bill, the show was an obsession, which usually connotates something negative if you're obsessed with something, but... (laughs) For Bill, it was a magnificent obsession. and um and, and, I mean, he would go on vacation for a week, bring the typewriter with him, and then after three days he'd say, we got to go back. <laughs> I, I've got to get back to work. And what was great about it was that Lee just said, okay, let's go. I mean, she was fine with it. She knew that this is what he loved, and she had her own career, so she could understand it. I, I think the what I also tried to capture in the book is their life together and how that benefited him as a writer-producer.
0: You know, I, I, she has never gotten the credit that I think she rightly deserves for being his his partner in every way and, uh, you know, uh, a true supporter of
1: his talent and vision. I'm hoping the book can help change that. I suggested to her that she be on the cover with him, and she very modestly said, no, no, that's okay. That's, that's fine with Bill just being on the cover. And I thought, well, that's not what my vote's for, but... Um, But, yeah, I mean, and I think that there are a lot of great pictures inside. The pictures are a mix from their personal life, which many have never seen before photos, and then hopefully a lot of others that have not been seen in a long time. I tried to get in as many cast photos as I could so that that would represent as many people as possible. Sure. And then also one of their family Christmas cards, which they are famously known for, and it, it, if you saw them all lined up together, you know, you'd see how the families, as all families do, change over the years and how people are added, and, and the photo that we have represented is actually different in the advanced media copy you received, and there was a photo swapped out where it's the holiday Christmas card photo from 2004 okay. when Bill was still with us and Laura Lee's youngest child, her daughter Samantha, had been born, so that encompasses the entire family, Bill Lee, their children, and their children's children. So that's a very special photo.
0: And you know, the proof is in the pudding. I mean, Laura is still a member of that cast, very respected. Brad is running Bold and the Beautiful brilliantly. Bill Jr. is behind the scenes. Uh, his daughter-in-law Maria runs The Young and the Restless. I mean, you know, it's uh, this was a very this was a very tight-knit family, and
1: and you know, even though Bill's no longer with us, uh, the family
0: business goes on.
1: It really does, and it's it's a wonderful legacy. I when I was writing the book, I thought I could have ended the book with Bill's passing in 2005. But then I thought there should be one last chapter in there to cover the last seven years since then and the changes that have gone on in the industry. In Bill's retirement speech in the Rainbow Room in New York City just before the Daytime Emmys in 1998, he saw these changes coming, and he tried to put out a warning. um, And unfortunately, you know... A poorly heated warning. Yeah, I mean, I think if they had just listened to him, maybe, you know, what you need is a consistent vision. You need to write the characters that your audience likes. You need to, when the audience asks for something, you have to listen to what they're really asking for. And if what they say, if you don't put this couple together, I'm never watching again. Well, you eventually want to give them a, that moment like that Ridge and Caroline had on the deck of the boat. You want to give them those moments, but you also want to keep them apart and just keep that audience coming back. Of course. So it's like on Revenge, which I think is a great classic primetime serial. It's I figured Emily would have been found out many times throughout the season and her true identity. And now I realize I don't want that to ever happen because that's keeping me coming back week after week. But I do know that if her identity does come out, well, I know there'll be a twist where she'll regain, you know, a, a great thrill is going to be like riding a roller coaster. And that's what Bill did. He took his viewers on a roller coaster ride every day for over 40 years.
0: You worked for this man's company for a time, and you spent a large chunk of your professional life, obviously, covering Bill and his work. What did you learn about Mr. Bell in the process of researching and crafting this book that surprised you or that you hadn't previously known?
1: There were a couple of things, and I think on some level I did know them, but it kind of brought it all to the surface. I knew that Lee Bell was a respected journalist in Chicago who had her own daily talk show from the... 50s through 1986, when the family moved out to California to take a more active role in YNR and then to start up B&B. And in 2010, Lee, along with other Chicago journalists, were being honored at a benefit to announce the launching of, of the new Chicago Broadcasting Museum that was being built, which is going to open next month, I believe. And I had heard how great and how popular and beloved Lee was in Chicago. But when I was at that benefit, they put a local celebrity at every table in a banquet hall on Michigan Ave um, in the Hilton, and there were about maybe 30 tables or so, and each person who was a celebrity at the table stood up, like the sports guy from Fox or the news guy from the ABC affiliate. And, And a spotlight was shined upon them, and they waved, and they got a decent amount of applause. And when Lee Bell was introduced and stood up, the entire room... Just spontaneously stood up and applauded. It, it wasn't wow. that type of thing where you, yeah, it wasn't that type of thing where you look to your left or your right and you see, oh, I guess people are standing. Well, I got to get up too. <laughs> it it just—you were on your feet before you knew it. Wow. And the applause went on for a while. And she did so much great work for the city and bringing awareness of social issues long before Oprah, of course, and Phil Donahue were doing it. And again, it's like I knew that. But until you, you experience But you can't it, really internalize it until you see it. Exactly. And for Bill, I was reminded of, and a lot of the actors were pointing out what life has been like since Bill stepped down. One of them said to me that, you know, he was protecting us in ways we didn't even know until he was gone. And I think that's when you really protect someone. You don't do it in a way that's showing off and you say, see what I'm doing for you? Yeah. You're just doing it in a way that the person may not see at the time, but hopefully later they will and, and that they'll they'll appreciate. Absolutely.
0: You know, you don't really touch on this in the book, but after Bill passed away from Alzheimer's in, in uh, 2005, I think the primary assumption in the community after the fact was that that was why Bill had decided to step down in 1998. Is there any validity to that notion whatsoever, or did his disease kind of march in quickly and unexpectedly?
1: You know, That's a really good question, and I didn't pry too much into that. I mean, asking family members about, you know, Bill becoming ill was clearly the most personal, private part of of the book. That's where Laura Lee's husband, Scott, was very helpful, especially because he was able to speak with a lot of knowledge and intimacy about it, but I didn't feel like I would be so intrusive with either Lee or or his children, Of course, where where it might have been too painful to go into, but Brad and Lee were also very helpful with that part of the book. I don't know the specifics of of the diagnosis and and the timeline. I do know that in 1998, when Bill gave that interview with Addis, he was... And to be
0: fair, in that interview, he was still sharp as a tack. I mean, completely... Sharp as a tack. Completely uh, in, in charge of all of his faculties.
1: I mean, it's... I'm, I'm going to have to ask Alan to forgive me on this one, but there was a question where he said, what was it like when As the World Turns went to half an hour? And I, and I myself thought, well, that's a good question. And then Bill's kind of like, you know, just he's he's trying to shoot it down. And I thought, oh, does he not understand it? And then he finally says, it started as half an hour. And I thought, well, that's right. And, and so Bill knew, Bill knew.
0: He knew the minutiae of,
1: of. He knew the minutia, and, and he what? knew a lot of things. And, and, you know, as I wrote about in the book, Wynar back in the day was always having a cake celebration to celebrate being number one for ten years, for five hundred weeks, for anniversaries. I mean I had to join a new gym just to, you know, burn off the calories uh, from all the cake. And um he, and there were times where we would celebrate Bill's birthday on the set with a cake after um in March. And there were some years where he was still very well spoken and, and terrific and um so I, I don't know a a lot about the disease in terms of the day-to-day and the peaks and valleys, but the family and, uh, was very open and giving me enough information that I, I felt would be necessary for the book.
0: You know, uh, about a year ago, I was thrilled to run across Michael Zaslow's book. And uh, I don't know if you've read it or not, but it opens with a story about Michael in the summer of 96, just prior to the onset of his ALS, and he's preparing to do a run of My Fair Lady in Pittsburgh while simultaneously working like a dog on Guiding Light, I mean, literally five days a week, you know, 50 yeah. pages of dialogue or more. And, uh, you know, there's no way of knowing, of course, but he postulates in those first few pages of his book that, you know, dealing with all this dialogue and heavy emotion and what have you and, and uh, you know, dividing his attention between two such gargantuan, you know, creative projects maybe could have, left his brain physiologically vulnerable to the disease that ultimately did take his life. And, you know, I was skimming your book, and, you know, I couldn't help but wonder, even with Bill being as sharp and and as smart as he clearly was, if keeping all these characters and all these stories, all these, you know, personalities, all this agita swimming around in his mind on a daily basis for, you know, five decades or more, didn't contribute in some strange way to his ultimate fate.
1: That's a very good question, and I'm always seeing, as we all are, reports on the news saying that, you know, if you do this, you know, this can happen to you. And if you if you, if you you do crossword puzzles and keep your mind sharp, that will stave off problems in the future. And another one I think we've all heard of, if you love what you do, you know, you'll, you'll live longer. You bet. And in that respect, if, if that were true, then I think Bill would have lived to 150 because he loved what he did. <laughs> I think that's a great, great question, and I didn't want to go too far into, you know, medical research on it and talk to experts about that, but I do wonder about that, you know, did he work himself too hard, but it's hard when you, you know, I think it must have been very hard for him when when he retired, because when you get up and do something every day for over 40 years, then to stop doing that, I'm sure it was a very challenging transition for Bill to go from not... I mean, imagine the first day—what it was like. You bet. To not after it's after it's and, your whole damn life. Yeah, to not sit down and write an outline uh, or a breakdown. Personally, I can tell you that you know, long after I turned the book in, and I was like, "Wait a minute, they just won another award. I want to include that." And I would go back and include that into the final chapter. Or something happened. I mean, there were there was a development last November. Uh, it was kind of ironic. I mean, I had a meeting with the publisher in Chicago about the book. And it was a wonderful meeting, and we were talking about finalizing all the details and promotion and ways to get the word out about the book to fans through social media and through fan clubs and and things and, and, and contacts I have in the press. And then I was as I was leaving the meeting, I looked down at my BlackBerry and I saw that Prospect Park had announced the plans to suspend getting all my kids and one life onto the web. And it was just such a contrast for, you know, really bad news on a day that I was personally getting some good <laughs> news. Um, but, but but then I wanted the book to be as timely as possible, so I made sure to include that that was a development that was going on in, in the industry. Absolutely. Um, in, a, in a post-Bill Bell era. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it's, it's impossible. When you're creating something like that, a show, a storyline, I can only imagine how, how impossible it is to put that down.
0: You know, it, it's a horrible analogy, but, you know, they talk about, you know, soldiers in, in uh, war zones, you know, having trouble coming back here and trying to reassimilate and and uh, like I said, it, it's a terrible analogy, but in some ways, you know, doing Bill's job is somewhat like managing a war zone, and, and uh, you know, I can only imagine that it must be just terrifying the thought of you know walking away from it and and, you know trying to live a
1: quote-unquote normal life i think he continued to come into the office he continued to watch the shows and then i know that in the in the final years he would visit the set and he'd watch the shows be taped and that's something he never did while they were in production he'd watch on his monitor while he was writing and meeting with his writers and dealing with crises and all kinds of other things so i think that must have been a very that that brought some enjoyment to him where he was able to just watch the shows and know that they were continuing to be done as others had stepped in to run them.
0: You know, you write at length uh, about the riveting battle for creative control of YNR in the years after Bill stepped down, and, and people like, you know, Doug Davidson and others telling you, uh, you know, baby, we didn't even know how good we had it back then. This epic battle to control the ship, was that just a money thing, or was there something deeper at play there?
1: Well, I think the term perfect storm comes to mind. I mean, when Bill stepped down, the 2000s, we saw so many shows be canceled. We saw the ratings start to go down. When Bill Bell was running the show, the really smart people stepped aside and said, just let him do what he does and and watch the money come in. And I think when he stepped down, most of the people involved were wondering, you know, how will things change? And how do I redefine myself now that Bill is no longer here? And people are always trying to put their stamp on something and say, see here, this is what I do. So I think that led to a, a whole backstage soap opera, which I don't go into a lot of in the book, but I do address it in some broad strokes.
0: As has been the case with a handful of shows over the past few years, and I won't name names, but I'm sure that everybody listening to this can guess. It's not that hard. The, the uh, behind-the-scenes hijinks at Y&R were ultimately more interesting than the show that actually hit the air. And, you know, I certainly have quibbles, as do many fans and critics, with... With some of the creative choices that Maria Bell has made in her time at the helm, but you know she's done a very admirable job, I think, in calming the waters over there and bringing the focus back to the show itself. What do you think that Bill would make of, of uh, what has become of his beloved series over the past decade?
1: Well, I think there are a couple of different answers to that. And Bill, what was great about Bill is that he never aired the dirty laundry. He rarely, if ever, went public with anything unless he absolutely had to. If, if something controversial was going on, I, I think. No, you as, can, as a matter
0: of fact, you open your book with a hilarious story about a young actor throwing a little tirade on the set and and how Bill ultimately handled that
1: that incident. It's it's very funny and very I had never heard that story before. I'm glad you liked it because later I, I thought you know was that the right anecdote to open up with and, and what I what I wanted <laughs> what I wanted to, to accomplish. Book. Thank you. What I wanted to accomplish with that anecdote was that while other producers would have just fired the person, Absolutely. that Bill was like, he, he just, he had a, you know, Susan Flannery said a couple of times that he had a sly wit. And Bill could deflect a situation, he could diffuse it, and yet in his own subtle way, he'd let you know who was the boss. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, that is why I use that one. So I think Bill would, I asked a network exec, what would Bill be doing today? And they said, you know, he never resorted to gimmicks. He never resorted to anything other than telling great stories. And I think that if Bill were still here writing the show and with us, that's what he would be continuing to do.
0: You know, it's so funny. In the in the very early days of this show, I was talking to uh, Beth Maitland, who played Tracy for years Perfect. on, on YNR, and, and I was asking her that very question. What do you think Bill would make of... And this was this was when uh, you know all my children, When Life to Live was still on the air, and you know, uh, all, uh, As the Turns and Night a Day were still on the air. I mean, things were relatively stable compared to even how they are now. But but you know, I was asking her, What do you think Bill would do? You think Bill would be heartbroken by the uh, degeneration of the genre, or would he be emboldened by the challenge? And and she seemed to think that he would. You know, he he never backed down from a great challenge, and he loved a great challenge. And and she seemed to think that he would be. You know if only subconsciously or, uh, you know, uh, under wraps, he would be secretly thrilled by the challenge of, you know, creating a great show and and keeping those high standards on the air in these days of, you know, shrinking budgets and, and uh, you know, warring factions and what have you.
1: Yeah, this is a man who took the challenge of Days of Our Lives about to go off the air in 13 weeks. It, it had 13 weeks left. And he said, well, all right, here's what I'm going to do, and he, within five years, the show was number one. I mean, what he did well, he did better than anybody, and that was tell a story, and as long as he'd be able to tell a story, a lot of the rest is going to take care of itself because people are just going to gravitate towards it, so I think he just would have continued to have told great stories, and I think a lot of people... If they kept that more in in mind, more in the forefront, and put personal agendas aside, and put their egos aside. I interviewed Bill one of the many times, not many, but one of the most important times I interviewed Bill was for a a feature in a magazine about soap operas, 12 Most Powerful People. Yeah, you know, I
0: I pulled that out of my collection last night. Funny you should mention that. I, I pulled that out and read it.
1: Isn't that a great interview he gave? I mean, uh, and
0: not only was that a great interview, but that whole that whole series of 12 people just you know thumbing back through that again was it was fascinating to see. You know, we're talking about what 15 years ago now. It's fascinating to see everybody's uh, predictions and and forecasts for the genre and how they ultimately
1: have come true. They were, and I, and I only out uh, of the 12 people interviewed, I only interviewed Bill, and I can imagine, and I, I believe I heard at the time that several of the people chosen were thrilled, over the top. Flattered, they loved being part of those twelve. And Bill, when I interviewed him, he was almost uncomfortable with the idea of being a powerful person, day time, and and ruling with this big scepter. You know, uh, he said, you know, we all have a job to do. Some of us are more in the forefront than others, but we all have jobs and responsibilities. And when you combine them all together, then that makes for a great show. And, and I, I, I and, you I, know,
0: I, I believe in Bill's mind, the, the 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 show was the star. The story was the star.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, in the mid to late 80s, he lost three very popular performers, Brenda Dixon, Eileen Davidson, and Terry Lester, and recast them with varying degrees of success in terms of the individual actors. However, the ratings just kind of kept going up. Absolutely. And that's because the stories were in place and they never wavered. And, you know, audiences will accept a new person if there's great, great story.
0: And, you know, even earlier than that, you talk about it in the book when, when Jamie Lynn Bauer decided to leave and uh, he had to decide, you know, basically on a dime to refashion the whole show around two relatively minor characters. And he did it with with grace and with almost a ridiculous ease.
1: That was fascinating with Jamie Lynn. In 1990, I was at a Museum of Television and, and Radio event, and um, he told that story to Jamie. And it was my impression she was hearing it for the first time. Wow. And then three years later, I asked Jamie about it. We were at the YNR anniversary party, not on the record, but I thought it was a very fascinating topic that that was such a catalyst to redo the show. And then in, I think, 99, I actually interviewed her about it. We went on the record for a TVGuide.com article. And even though I wasn't able to talk to her, we just were not able to connect for the book. Because I'd had those three experiences, I was able to just draw on them and check the article out and use that for the book. And so it's still a pretty pivotal part. And yeah, that was pretty fascinating. As I think uh, Peter
0: Bergman says in your book, there'll never be another Bill, Bill, in part because there'll never be another person who will be given the kind of autonomy and control that Bill was able to wrestle for himself. But, you know, I mean, you've been around this block for many years now. Just in terms of sheer storytelling talent, who do you see that's still in the game that has that gift?
1: I'm a big fan of everyone who's playing in the game right now. I think Brad certainly... You know, it's a lot like his father. Even when he tells a story uh, verbally to you, he, he I'll see his dad in him, <laughs> which is fascinating, the way he gets excited about telling uh-huh. the story. And I think that Ron did a great job on One Life. Of course. And I, I, th- I think he's really going to do great with General, and it, it was great news for the industry that that show was saved. And I actually even liked a lot what Daryl and Marlene were doing over at Days. I know not everyone did, but I was... a big, big fan of it, and I thought they were doing a great job, especially with the whole Will storyline. I think it's going to come down to story. If you just tell a story and you're allowed to tell it, then the viewers will come. And this is what people were saying 15 years ago in that powerful people issue, or 13 years ago, and I, I guess it just bears repeating.
0: Yeah, you know, it, it, the, uh, what, what's the saying? those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it?
1: Bingo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: It's so funny thinking about people like uh, Lorraine Broderick, who I think is a brilliant writer, and, and she's coming back to yeah, these obviously. And, and even somebody like, you know, say what you will about Megan McTavish. Uh, you know, I've said plenty, and everybody else has too. But, you know, just in terms of, of uh, sheer ability to plot out a story, I think there was nobody better than
1: her. You know, um, I helped out People Magazine with a, an all-star Celebration tribute to all my kids when it was going off the air. I worked on that last year, and I reviewed a lot of the storyline. And there was a lot of great stuff that came out of the, many of Megan's years on the show. A lot of great stuff. I mean, I thought she did a great job when Riva came back from the dead at Guiding Light. Absolutely. I liked the whole Alec Arlene Haley storyline that she wrote on All My Kids. Um, and the original and the, Kendall
0: storyline, and and uh... the original
1: Kendall storyline. Yeah, and and I, I think that there are times for all writers when casting production storytelling, timing, just all dovetails. And when that happens, that's great soap. And other times, just those elements don't come together, and you're thinking, eesh, this is tough. Absolutely.
0: You know, and I think a perfect example of that is somebody like Michael Malone. His first run on One Life to Live was just, uh, it was nearly art. And, the you know, the second run was just a, a muddled mess.
1: And you look at an example like that, and you think, what's happening? What's going on? Where's the magic? And I think that from my limited experiences behind the scenes and covering the industry, I would say it often has very little to do with the actual writer. It has to do with a lot of the factors around them that they have no control over. No question uh, they, about it. They, they the kind of autonomy that Bill Bell had. You know, I, I, and I learned this when I was working at the show, that Bill recast an actor in the middle of a huge storyline and told the network about it three days later. <laughs> and And at the time, I was you know, very young and naive, and I said, well, yeah, he's Bill Bell, like, you know, he can do that, and that was true. The actress who told me kind of chuckled, and she was like, well, yeah, but in most places, you'd need to get permission, and I was thinking, well, if Bill Bell wants to do something, I think he should be allowed to do it. (laughs) That's um, hilarious. Yeah, it it is, and and it's naivete, yeah, because, and I don't think anyone disagreed with him, because he thought, Bill, if you need a new actor in this part for you to write it, you go right ahead, and today... I think writers would be fought on that.
0: Or in many cases, uh, you know, the network would come in and say, we want this person, you're going to write this
1: story right here, yeah. And that even happened to Bill once at Days, and he, uh, an actress, I think I quoted her, it was Susan Flannery telling me that the network wanted Bill to do a story, and he started to write it, and he just could not get into it. And he said, I'll never do that again if the network (laughs) demands that I do something. I'll tell them that it just can't be done. And, you know, I mean, it wasn't long into his career that people just realized, why are you going to argue with success?
0: Tell me about and, Bill's ultimate legacy. What is his... What did he leave behind that, uh, you know, others have taken advantage of in their own lives? Or, you know, what? what is his legacy on, on television, on daytime television, on this art form?
1: You know, I think Bill had a longevity that no one else had. You know, I think his legacy is his characters who are still with us, his family, their roles in continuing the genre, everyone says, you know, oh, it's another two years, oh, it's another six months. It's like, well, maybe it's longer. (laughs) You know, maybe it's going to be longer. Maybe they're going to find out that these shows that they're trying to replace soaps with don't have the loyal following, that they don't have... I, I think if they rework the budgets you know maybe there's a way they can keep them on the air for a little bit longer maybe someone could try a new serial a half hour show with a new business model where actors Absolutely. are are hired for the week and not for the day so they can actually go to funerals and weddings where they don't have a line or <laughs> don't have to be paid like exactly as much and i think that i think those social issue storylines where lives were saved there were people who saw Victor Newman give infant cpr to i believe it was Victoria You know, there were people who go, oh, you know, I should go take a CPR class. We're not going to know of every instance in which a a life was saved or where where someone went and got a treatment for a condition because they saw a character do it or they saw someone battle through something. You know, what's great about Bill, I'm diverting a little bit here, but sometimes it's written that Caroline Spencer died of leukemia on The Bold and the Beautiful. But it's my understanding that Bill never named the disease that she had. They cut to the outside of the doctor's office when he told her mm. and purposely shot it that way because Bill didn't want, it's my understanding, that he didn't want anyone at home suffering from a condition that he would give one of his characters, and if that character died, Bill didn't want to discourage that person from fighting to stay alive. Wow. I mean, he, he put so much thought into things, it, it's phenomenal.
0: That's pretty impressive.
1: It really is. He He was magnificent. And I hope that what comes through in the book is that so much of it stemmed from his marriage, and that's how he was able to do what he did, because he had the best partner in the world.
0: You know, it's it's so funny what you say about about you know uh, there being a continuing hunger for these kinds of stories. I I'm looking forward, as I'm sure you are too, to uh, this thing that Nick Knight is going to be doing this summer with uh, what is it called, Hollywood Heights and Hollywood and, Heights. Yes. You know, I I recently uh, hurled myself into this Fifty Shades of Grey trilogy of books and and you know it's uh, as has you know uh, 10 million other people in counting and sure. you know I, I i think that the the uh, outrageous popularity of those books is proof positive that people will always be hungry for uh, a great fun
1: sexy fascinating story well told absolutely they definitely want it they just need to find the right talented people to give it to them i think a lot of people want to work in television Everyone grows up watching the award shows and, and thinking it would be great to be a, a writer. And a lot of people get into the business, but the ones with really true, true talent are few and far between. You bet.
0: But you know, you talk about revenge, you look at something like Glee or uh, Breaking Bad. I mean, these are all basically at heart.
1: They're soaps. Sure.
0: Smash. That's no question.
1: Yeah, I, and I, I, I think that the reason the nighttime ones are doing so well is it only requires an investment of an hour a week as opposed to an hour a day, and... We have all this technology in our lives now to make our lives easier, but let's face it: all it does is give us more stuff to do. Absolutely. You know, so many emails, Facebooks, and Twitter—so many things to keep up on. It's, it's ridiculous. Yes. And you know, it's—it's it's so funny. I was—I was, I was talking to
0: Scott Bryce, one of my, my favorite adult, actors of uh, all uh, time. This is, this is a couple of years ago now, and, and he was saying, you know, it, it's so funny you mentioned that because he was saying that. In the old days, people would come home and the first thing they would do is turn on their television and you know watch their favorite show or whatever. And now, people come home uh, and the first thing they do is turn on their computer and check their check their Facebook, check their Twitter. Or in you know and now you can just you can carry the world around in your pocket on a stupid phone and, and do all that yeah. stuff. And you know it's it's uh, he, it, he said in some ways America is now entertaining itself and you know that's all well and good, but it's hell on the people who have made their livings trying to entertain America.
1: It is, and I remember back in the 80s, if a if, uh, VCR wouldn't, you know, you used to have to turn it off to turn the power on. <laughs> or to turn the timer on, you had to turn the power yeah. off, and if you, which is kind of a brain twister. And if I would forget to do that, and I'd get home from work, I'd think, oh, my, my soap's in, like, darn it, you know, it's like they're gone forever. I will never get these back. And unless you knew someone, you could call them and say, well, I'll come over tonight. You know, and, oh, it's okay, I have two VCRs, I'll make you a copy, you know. But now with DVRs and, uh, and YouTube Internet, and it's all so accessible that I think that some of the um, some of the urgency is gone. People feel, oh, I can watch it later. And on a serial, you've you got to watch it now.
0: And, you know, some of the magic of the experience, some of the electricity of the moment.
1: Oh, yeah, the appointment viewing of it all.
0: You bet. And so what about you, sir? What's on the horizon
1: for you? I, I assume you're going to be touring behind this book and doing book signings and what have you. Yeah, I'm hoping. We have a book signing on Thursday, June 21st. In Los Angeles at Barnes & Noble at The Grove, which is an outdoor shopping mall adjacent to sure. CBS TV City. Myself and Lee Bell will be there with Laura Lee, John McCook, Susan Flannery. Oh, my goodness. Um, that, you know...
0: Talk about a Tony
1: cast. Well, yeah. I mean, she does not do a lot of appearances in fan events, but, you know, Bill meant a lot to her. Lee means a lot to her, and so I'm thrilled that she's coming. Very cool. Um, hey, Susan, you're here for me, right? <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, um, and then also Joshua Morrow and Melody Thomas Scott will be there, so no small shakes on the YNR side either. Wow. It's going to be a great night. I, uh, I'm hoping people turn out for their support of Bill and Lee and the shows. We've got other dates. I don't know that they're firmed up yet, but I'm hoping that um, they will be soon, and, and then we can uh, really just get out there and remind the fans of who Bill was and that he's got a great story to be told.
0: And, you know, before I put this on to bed, I'd like to give a quick shout-out to a fabulous woman at Sourcebooks Publicity by the name of Liz Kelsch, who quite literally made this the easiest interview I have ever booked on this show. I emailed her last Monday morning to uh, make a press inquiry, and she got back with me almost immediately. We set it up in a finger snap, and she even FedExed me a copy of Michael's book overnight. So that I could have a, a you know a chance to frame better questions, and of course I was fully prepared to do the interview without the book in hand. But the fact that I was able to at least skim the biography beforehand, I think, made for an infinitely more interesting conversation. And I thank you so much, Liz, for making this a positively painless experience. Would that they could all be this effortlessly easy, Madam? Uh, as for the book, one more time: it is from Sourcebooks. It is written by the brilliant Michael Maloney. It is called. The Young and Restless Life of William J. Bell, and it officially goes on sale this coming Friday, June 1st. Uh, I've read this thing in its entirety, and I'll tell you without qualification that if you're a soap fan of any stripe, this book needs to make its way to the very top of your summer reading list, people. You'll absolutely love it. I absolutely love it. And I thank Michael Maloney for stopping by here and allowing me to mercilessly grill him about this, that, and whatever. And I hope to be able to drag him back here many more times in the future. Michael, sir, you are welcome here at The Buzz. Any old time, and I certainly hope you won't be a stranger around these parts. As for now, that's it for Brandon's Buzz in the can. One more time, if you are listening to the show, then you clearly know how to find it already. But in case you don't, three places online: BlogTalkRadio.com/Brandon'sBuzz is home base for this show. Uh, from there, you can listen to the show. Of course, you can download old episodes of the show. You can stream old episodes. You can uh, see what's coming up on the show. You can leave comments. You can send emails. It really is mission control for Brandon's Buzz. Again, it's blogtalkradio.com slash brandonsbuzz. You can also find me at my blog, brandonsbuzz.com. There at the top of any page at brandonsbuzz.com is a blue button marked radio. That Clicking that button takes you to a full archive of every episode of this show. This is episode number 89. This and all previous 88 episodes, all available in the radio archive at brandonsbuzz.com, uh, I encourage you to check that out. Also, I'm on iTunes, guys. Right next to Michael Maloney. Michael Maloney's book is on iTunes this, later this week. My interview is right next to it. Just type Brandon's Buzz in the iTunes Music Store search box. Scroll down to the podcast section. Click on my puzzle piece logo. From there, uh, it'll take you to every every episode is up on iTunes. You can uh, you can subscribe to the show and have new episodes automatically download to your library, or you can uh, you pick and choose individual episodes to download and play on the device of your choosing as an MP3 file. So uh, I'm on iTunes, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Facebook. Google the words Brandon's Buzz, and I assure you, something will pop up that points you in my direction. And as always, I appreciate you guys coming in my direction. I appreciate you guys finding me and listening to me, and hope you continue finding and listening to Brandon's Buzz.
1: Hi, everybody out there. This is Eileen Kristen, and I have just been on Brandon's Buzz. This is a great show and a very sophisticated mind, so spread the word, Brandon's Buzz. This is Claire Massey from Tammy Show, and you're listening to Brandon's Buzz. Great guy, great show. Check it out. Hey, guys,
0: this is Brett Claywell from One Life to Live, and you're listening to Brandon's
1: Buzz. Hi, this is Lynn Herring on Brandon's Buzz. It's the great entertainment talk show on now. Brandon, I love you. Thanks for having me. (laughs) So if you feel that you just can't take it And your world isn't what it seems Don't forget that life can be what you make it Baby, when you live on a street of dreams Hey, this is Nia Peoples and you're with Brandon Buzz, the place to be. Hi everybody, this is
0: Nicholas Walker. Merci à vous tous. Écoutez Brandon Buzz sur
1: Blog Talk Radio. Bonsoir et à très bientôt.